Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny concluded our James series with James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, why mature believers need to take both sin and grace very seriously. Um, what I want to do this morning as we're concluding our James series is we're going we're gonna to do a little bit of a review, and then we're going to get into the last of our new content with this letter that is written by Jesus' brother. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus actually had on this earth um, some brothers and some sisters, the Bible teaches us. And James was one of his brothers and was a leader in Jerusalem and then wrote this letter. And we've been studying it for a couple months, and it's been wonderful. Uh, and this is our last week. But if you have your Bible, I told you to open to James chapter 1, just because I want to do a little review before we get to the the verses that are the new content today. Uh, and we've been saying this, that the theme of this letter, I believe, can be found in James chapter 1, verses 4b, where he says this. He says, So that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That is his aim at writing this letter. He's writing this letter to believers because he wants them to grow to maturity. If you have your Bibles, your, your paper Bibles, I want to invite you to circle, underline, or highlight the, the term mature. And in, the, in the, the margins, I want you to write, become like Jesus. Because anytime you see this, this maturity, or perfect, or complete, or, or be holy, you can always assume that what it's talking about is become more like Jesus because he is the model for what all those things are, right? He's holy, he's perfect, he's complete, and he's mature. So he wants us to become more like Jesus. And the context of this is in the middle of suffering, that when you go through suffering, we should rejoice, not, not because of the suffering, but, but because of what it potentially can produce. It can produce character, and that leads to maturity. And that's what he's saying, like, when you go through struggles, how you go through those struggles matters. And when we go through them with hope, it actually points people to Jesus. And when we go through them with hope, it actually helps us grow through the process because God never wastes a hurt. And the other thing that it it talks about in the same passage is how you handle your doubts, Everybody has doubts. If you've never had some times where you're like, I don't know why God's doing, or who God, or, or, I, don't, I don't understand. Uh, it actually says in the Old Testament, don't lean on your own understanding, right? So you don't have to. It's not goal is not to understand everything. But when we have doubts, how you handle those can either lead to maturity or it can lead you to fall away. And so it invites you, come to God with your doubts. And then it talks about temptation. And James says in, in, uh, in James 1, 14 and 15, he goes, but he, said, he, he, he talks about the process of temptation and how it becomes sin. He goes, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. In other words, the, the, the devil doesn't need to make you sin. He just needs to offer it to you. Because it's already in you. The desire is already there. You just need it presented to you. And then we go forward, and he goes, uh, when that happens, then after desire has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin. And when a sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And I don't know if you remember, when we talked about when, when, when you're dealing with temptation, there's an acronym that, that we kind of use in discipleship called HALT, right? There's, a, there's some certain times when you need to kind of pay more attention because you're more susceptible to sin. And the idea of HALT is when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired... You need to be careful. You need to stop. And so James gives us some practical 
uh, advice with that. So how you handle temptation is easy. And here's some, here's some advice. If you want to become more like Jesus, let's say you're convinced now, okay, I am a person who wants to be mature. I want to become more like Jesus. And in verse uh, 21 and 22 of chapter 1, he goes, okay, well then therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So the idea here is, is imagine your heart is like a planter on a porch and it has soil in it. And if you want that to grow and be healthy, you need to like remove any poisons or, or roots or anything in there that's, that's not helping it grow. You need to get that out of there. And you, do it, you need to implant some good seeds. And so he's saying implant the gospel into your heart and get, you need to get rid of some things. And you need to, and you need to embrace and implant some things if you want to grow to maturity, if that's your goal. And then he goes through about the rest of the book, really unpacking what that looks like. And we've, we've looked through at every single verse except for the last two, which we'll hit today. But if you want to become mature in Christ, you need to turn away from some things that are keeping you from growing. And you need to receive the gospel, which will help you grow. And then here's our new content for this morning. In James 5, 19 through 20, he concludes his letter saying this. He says, My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And so if we want to grow to maturity, I would say this is the big idea that James is kind of ending with. If we want to grow fully to maturity, then we must take sin seriously. We must take sin seriously. And the three things that we're going to look at in this, in this time together is this. And it's all stuff James has talked about. And the first thing is this. When you sin, which we all do, right? We are all fellow strugglers. None of us are perfect. We are all in process. We have grace for each other because we're all in process. But the process is not without purpose. We want to become more like Jesus. And here's some very practical advice. But when you sin, last week we saw that James says very clearly, go to someone for help. When we sin, confess your sins to your brother or your sister. In other words, when you sin, you should seek out help. The Bible does not teach you to try to go it alone. It doesn't teach you to fix yourself. And so when we sin, we go to someone for help. And then today's message, he, he says this. Also, when someone else is sinning, your brother or sister is sinning, that you love, go to them and confront them about it in love. And that's super hard. But, but, but that's how we handle sin. sin. We take sin seriously, so when we sin, we go get help. And when somebody's not going and getting help, we go to them and help anyways. And then the last thing we'll, we'll look at today is that if we're going to do this, how we do this matters a lot. You could mess this up really bad. You could handle this really poorly. But not handling it all is also poorly handling. And so we need to handle it, but how you handle it. And so what we're going to look at is this. It's important to look at and to take grace seriously, but it's also important to take sin seriously. And there's an and in there. 
We need to do both. So let's jump into our first thing is that we need to ask for help. That's the first thing in your notes. It's important for us to ask for help. We're all sinners. We all sin. We all struggle. None of us have arrived yet. We're all in the process of growing. Maturity, by the way, is not a destination to arrive at. Maturity is not a destination to arrive at. It is a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like this Jesus. And actually, it is going to be a destination that we arrive at, but not until we get to eternity. And so maturity is a process, and we need to ask for help. And so James last week says in James 5.16, he goes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And so the first thing that I want to look at, well, how does it look, what does this look like to, uh, to, to ask for help? The first thing that we need to do, we need to be committed to as a church body is this. We need to build healthy, Christ-centered relationships before we need them. We need to build Christ-centered relationships before we need them. And we're, we do that. We give you two minutes to meet each other. We say, hey, afterwards... <laughs> Afterwards, go get lunch together. Come get involved with a community group. Go see Bill Morgan. And not only are you going to hear, but you're also going to be with your brothers and sisters. Men, go to the Bible study on Thursday. There's a women's Bible. There's so many opportunities for you to get connected and build relationships. But are you stepping into those? Are you, are you doing that? And it's an important Building relationships, going to these things, getting plugged in is not only something that you should do, it's something that you must do if you want to grow to maturity. And so build healthy relationships before you need them. And then I would say this, in a don't judge me culture, how many of you guys know we live in a don't judge me culture? We hear that all the time, right? Don't judge me, right? And we feel the pressure. I don't want to judge you. I'm not judging you, but, Right? We do that. We live in a don't judge me culture. But here's what we need to understand. That we need to let people crino our lives. Crino is the Greek word that is used here for judge. In the New Testament, it's used many, 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 many times. This word crino. Sometimes it's used in a very positive light saying we need to crino. We need to judge people. And then sometimes it's, it's very clearly taught not to do that. Jesus goes like, don't judge, right? And that's, where, that's what we buy. We just hear the, don't judge me. Oh, that was Jesus, right? We're the Jesus culture. We're the don't judge me culture. No, there's a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And you have to understand the context to do this. If you have your paper Bibles, I want to invite you in verse 20 to circle, underline, or highlight turns him back. And then in the margins write, believers. James is writing in the context of people who already have committed their life to follow this Jesus. And that's important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul, the apostle, writes this letter. And he's very clear that we do not do this kind of crino with not yet believers. You know what a not yet believer is? It's a believer we haven't given up. They don't believe yet, but we never give up hope. Right? We don't call them, I don't call them non-believers because they're just one gospel message and a prayer away. They're just not yet believers. And we don't crino them this way. But in the, same, in the same sentence, he says, but for those who we love, 
who are followers of Jesus, we do crino them. We do crino each other. And so if this is true, if it's important for us to crino each other, let's just, let's just flip that around. As believers who are mature and desiring to follow this Jesus, we should desire for our brothers and sisters to bring correction to us when necessary. And that is so hard. How many of you guys love it when someone tells you how you're being a jerk? <laughs> we hate it, right? It goes everything against your flesh, but you got to die to your flesh. You know, Jesus said that's very abstract. He goes like, you got to die to yourself. We always go like, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Love it when someone corrects you. Die to yourself and receive it. And here's what it says in the old ancient wisdom book called the Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 12, it says this. It goes, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But the one who hates correction is stupid. Something interesting. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but I am a little rough around the edges. And I'm a pastor, and, when, and I'm, I'm growing to maturity. It's very slow, too slow for my mom, but, but I'm getting there. When we first planted this church, in a sermon, I, I can't remember what it was, but I said something was stupid. That's stupid. And that week, I got an email from somebody that I really do love and respect, and I know loves me. And in essence, it said, when you said the word stupid in your sermon, I just felt unbecoming of you. And I felt a little offended, especially because my fifth grader was in the audience, and I always tell him not to say stupid. So here's what I did. I crafted this whole email, and I basically said, if the Bible says the word stupid, then I won't withhold the word stupid. And I quoted this verse, and it was super good. <laughs> By God's grace, I did not hit send. I'm a fast sender. I did not hit send, but the Holy Spirit wrote me an email. And he said this, isn't it interesting that she's lovingly correcting you, and you're using a Bible verse that says, if you don't love to be corrected, you're stupid, <laughs> as your defense. And so if you wonder if God has a sense of humor, he absolutely does. And I'm so thankful she did. And you know what? She was right. Because context matters. And when, 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 when he's writing this in a wisdom letter, it's different than when you're preaching. And I was wrong. And she loved me enough to tell me that. And many times in my journey, people who have loved me have pointed out when I'm off, when I say something that they know, like, oh man, your attitude, that's not the attitude I know you want to have. Brittany does that sometimes to me, and, I, and I'm, my wife does that to me. Many of you guys, some of you guys have written me emails. Man, I wish I'd have saved them all because they're love emails. Correction emails are love emails, and we should look at it that way. We should desire for people to love us enough to point out something that is keeping us from growing. To get into our pot with us and say, man, I could see some weeds in there. I'm not going to just point them out, but I'm going to get my hands dirty and get in their weeds with you. That's love. And so we need to, we need to ask for help. 
And then the second thing in your notes is, is this, and it's, I think it might even be the harder one, is this. We need to help each other. You need to help each other. James says if you bring a brother or sister back, you've done a really great thing. Here's an interesting question that I want us to consider for a moment. What is the difference between being a people pleaser and a people lover? From really loving people and being a people pleaser. I I know that I'm too much of a people pleaser. And here's the interesting thing, though, that if you love people, 99% of the time you will want to do something that's pleasing to them. The opposite of being a people pleaser shouldn't be being, being a jerk, being a people displeaser. No. When we love people, we want to please them. But here's where the rub comes. If you're a people pleaser, you won't know how to say no to people when you should. And if you're a people pleaser, you won't point out to somebody something that they might not want you to point out, but they need you to point out because you're afraid of losing that friendship. You're afraid of... And so at the root, if this was a plant that was growing, the people pleaser, if you find the root, at least my root when I pull it out, it, it, it always is the root is selfishness. I'm really more worried about myself than I am you because I'm afraid you're going to turn on me and reject me and I hate that. And so being a people pleaser has its 99% time where it combines with being a, a lover. But it's that 1% one, one to 5% where it becomes a really big deal. And we need to love people enough to even say something that they might not be pleased with. For brothers and sisters are in sin, and we go to them, it says something interesting. It says you'll save their soul. This is soul care. This is a caring deeper than your friendship to the, to the depth of their soul, to the very, the very deepest places of them, right? When they're not looking after themselves, we look after them. You ever had somebody who was in, in a self-destructive pattern? And you just see them, and you're like, man, you're in a self-destructive pattern. I just want you to get out of that. And they don't want to get out of that. And do they like your help? They don't always appreciate it, but it's always the right thing to do. Now, here's something, though, that's important. Uh, correction is to be done from the inside of a Christ-centered relationship. When James is writing this letter, he's writing to small home churches where everybody knows everybody. And he's like, hey, you guys all know each other. Don't, don't make me a stranger, a, a brother, but a stranger come and do the correction. You do it at the ground level, at the relationship level. So we need to do this from the inside of the relationship. And so here's something I've been praying for, and you guys can join me for about two years. I'm praying that God at this church and at the church global would restore to the church what's called generational discipleship. In 1 Timothy, he's very clear. He goes like this. He goes, older dudes. He didn't use the word dudes, but you know what I mean. He said, older, wiser guys. Disciple the younger guy. And then he goes, younger guys, humble yourself. Seek to be discipled by the older guys. And then he goes, younger, I mean, older women, disciple the younger women. Younger women, 
Humble yourself and desire to be discipled. I don't know all of history, how everything works out. I know a lot of what happens in the history of books, you know, they, they, they color it different ways. But here's what I do know. In our generation, we have this disconnect between the millennials and under and, and, and those who aren't millennials. And we talk about it all the time. But there's some very practical reasons why this is hard, right? I read my Bible with a paper. I read my Bible on a device. You should do a paper. Really? Because it says scroll in the Bible and I'm scroll, right? We, we, go, we go back and forth. This disconnect, right? Like, you know, most of us, we grew up in a, in, a, in a disciple-making machine. Like, discipleship was this program, and everyone does the same thing, and I just teach you to do what I did because it worked for me. They don't want that. They want to be different. Look at them. They spend a lot of money going to places to look like they don't care about what they look like. <laughs> right? They just want to be different. They want to be different, and we want it to be the same. We're McDonald's, and they're like, I don't like McDonald's. I like, like, you know, hipster coffee houses where they're all different. They want to be different. And so we're like, I don't know how to disciple you. Well, you're going to have to get down, down into the roots and figure out why you do what you do and help them figure out how to do it in their different way, but with the same result. Amen, amen. But we can't not do this because the best people to crino you are the people who love enough, you enough to get involved and have relationship with you. And if you're an older woman and if you're not meeting with any younger women, you are missing out. If you're a younger woman and you're not meeting with an older woman, you are missing out. And men, same thing. You're missing out. And then there's brother to brother and sister to sister peer relationships, Christ-centered relationships. And man, we got a lot of work to do in the church. In a don't judge me culture, we're blowing it so often. Here's the thing. Accountability should be a natural part of a Christ-centered friendship. You know, there's some programs, whatever, ask these questions if you want to be accountability partners. But when did accountability become a program? In the Bible, it is the most natural thing. It's not like, let's meet together at 7 o'clock to talk about our sin. Like, no, we're just living our lives. And I notice something, I'm like, let's just talk about it right now, right? I know it's not 7 a.m. and there's no coffee, but we can just talk about it. It's accountability. It's sending a text saying, I haven't seen you in a while. What's going on? Or I heard you, uh, we had this conversation, and man, I didn't want to say it at the time because I knew you were all like, you know, built up, but man, you're cussing a lot right now. What's going on behind that? You, feel, you sound real angry. What's up with, you know, what's going on with that? I always think that I get angry sometimes. Maybe there's actually root issues that, maybe it's not the anger that is the root. Maybe let's, but, but let me in. Let's talk about this. It's called accountability. It's called caring enough for your brothers and sisters that you care for their soul and, and you talk about hard stuff. You write an email saying, don't say, don't say the S word in sermon, even though it says in Proverbs. Still haven't gotten over it. I have gotten over it right now. If you're afraid of losing friendships, if you're afraid of losing friendships, and it's costing you from being a good accountability friend, then I would just say this. Maybe the friendship is self-centered, and maybe it's shallow, but it is not Christ-centered. Because when we love each other enough, we will step in and talk about hard things. 
And I I want to just let you know, I am 110% preaching to myself right now. I can tell you at least 10 times in just this last year where I avoided having hard conversations with people because I'm a people pleaser. And I thought, I'll just go away. It doesn't go away. When you avoid having hard conversations, here's what I learned. You just end up having harder conversations or harder consequences. Avoiding hard conversations is not the answer. And this is not the job of church leadership alone. I've heard this a few times, like, man, I hear this little scuffle going on in this little group. Man, the church leadership should really jump in. Really? Because I read Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus talks about this. And he basically says, no, do it at the, at the friendship level first. And then if that doesn't work, get another friend and do it at the friendship multiplication level. And you go through this whole process before you evolve the church leadership. And so here's what I would say. It is, if you're a believer, it is your responsibility to do this. It is not a church leadership issue. When it becomes a church leadership issue, that's a lot bigger deal. We should make, if we never had any church leaderships, uh, if, I believe if we had good accountability and, 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 and generational, we would have very few church leadership issues. I mean, our elder meetings would be boring. We'd be okay with that. We got other stuff we could talk about. And in a, judge, in a don't judge me culture, the point is this, that we need to crino our brothers and sisters. And that's what he says. He goes, my brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's do some work, some Bible study work here. Circle, underline, or highlight truth. Truth. When the Bible talks about truth... It always talks about believing and obeying. So write in your margins, and obeying. The truth isn't just about what you believe. It's about what you obey biblically. And we always use the thing, if you told, if you told your, your fifth grader, go clean your room, and then clean his room, and then you go, Don't, go clean your room. About the fifth time, what do they do? I heard you the first time. No, you didn't, because your room's not clean. Right? You heard me hearing and obeying. Is the truth. And here's where this gets practical. Oftentimes you'll go to your brother and sister and you'll go, hey, I just want to talk about this issue. I know it's a little awkward, but I love you. And let's get in the, let's get in the weeds because I want to pull those, help you pull those out. You know, do you recognize that's a weed? It's not helping you. And then they go, well, I already know that. Yeah, but you're disobeying it. Right? And, and here's the thing. When, when, another one to underline is this. It says strays or wanders. Underline strays or wanders. In the Greek, this has the connotation of being intentional. And sometimes not intentional. But write intentional in there. When it says strays or wanders, it could be two different things. It could be somebody, and this happens sometimes, who's kind of slowly falling away and they don't really realize it. That's happened to me lots of times. You kind of just drift a little bit in your faith, right? You kind of slip away a little bit. And then someone comes to you, oftentimes this is the person that's more thankful, right? When, when they when kind of just drifted away and you're like, hey, you know, I, I do it too, but, but you kind of drifted. Let's drift back together, right? Let's not even drift back. Let's just jump back, right? Because that's the way Jesus loves to do that, right? And they're like, oh, thank you. But then there's the person who's, who's, who's doing it intentionally. And they know they're doing it. And they're choosing to do it. And, and they've kind of hardened their heart a little bit. I don't know if you've ever been that guy, but I get that 
way sometimes, right? Or just stubborn. And then when you go to that person, they don't always love it. I've had plenty of times where you had to go to somebody and have a hard conversation and they reject you. And then years later, they thank you. And that doesn't always work out beautifully like that. I mean, not every story has a happy ending. I know at Christmas time, we like Hallmark movies. Those always have happy ending. But this real life doesn't always have a happy ending. But at least you knew you did the right thing. But when it says strays or wanders, that could be intentional. But our God will leave the 99 and go after the one, won't he? And so here's the thing, and that says that in Luke 15, 4. He says that the shepherd, the good shepherd, will leave the 99 and go after the one. And in case you think that's irresponsible, in those days, a shepherd would have neighbors and under-shepherds. It's not like they left the 99 alone, right? They were in good care, but they went and handled the one. So here's the thing. If you're saying you want to be more like Jesus, avoiding going after the wanderer is not an option, because that's what Jesus is like. And he invites you to do that along with them, to be somebody who goes after the wanderer. And you can circle, save his soul. And in the, in the margins, right, this is serious stuff. This is soul care. And, and, it, and the, the way this is written, this is not about punishment. You're not going to them to make them feel bad or, or, to, or to punish them. This is about healing, freedom, and health. It's soul care. It's it's. it's It's caring for them more than they're caring for themselves. When they've been ensnared by the enemy, it's you being a rescuer. And then the last thing you is underline, circle, underline, or highlight is covers a multitude of sin. And I want you to write in your margins, God of second chances. Covers a multitude of sin. What this is saying is whatever the issue is, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Jesus is always waiting with open arms. When you go to your brother and you bring them back to Jesus, he's always going to receive them with love and care, forgiveness. And so you're, you're taking them on a journey to somewhere awesome. God always forgives sinners who repent. God will receive them with joy. And avoiding, avoiding hard conversations leads to harder conversations or consequences. And how you do this is really important, though. Would you guys agree with that? I think I've, we've hammered it down. We should do this, right? Now, how you do this is incredibly important. You could super duper blow it. You could come to me and go, I tried to do what you said, and I, and, and I ruined someone's life. I don't want you to do that this week. So let's talk a little further about how you do this. And in your notes, it would be this. Take sin and grace seriously. And how do you fill in the blank with an and on purpose? I don't always do that. Sometimes I just pick a word and I do that. The and is very intentional because I don't think it's one or the other. Most churches in church history err on one side or the other. They're either really good at handling sin. Sometimes they're real harsh. Sometimes people get excluded because they can't live up to the standard of the day. And that's harsh. And some churches err on the side of grace. I would say we probably are falling in that category. If, if we're one way or the other, we're the grace church. And here's the thing. Grace is really important. And loving people is really important. But, but Jesus came in John 1 with truth and grace. And so we need to figure out how to get this in balance 
that truth matters. We take sin seriously and we take grace seriously. So here's some practical things from the scriptures that I want to just kind of cover before we get into some worship. And the first one is this, is that you need to check yourself first. Before you do this, before you correct anybody, you need to check yourself. You might ask yourself, are you a hypocrite? Now, the word hypocrite in the first century, it was basically a theater term. And when you were in the theater, mostly it was just guys, but there was some girl roles, and there was all these dragons and all these different things. So what they would do is they would put on a mask, and they would wear that mask and become that other character. And it wasn't a negative thing. The hypocrite, ah, oh, yay, good job being a hypocrite on, on the theater. But the Bible takes this and goes, no, as a Christian, you shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't put on a mask and say one thing and then do the other. You shouldn't be a hypocrite when it comes to your faith, unless we're doing drama, right? Like your kids, when they come up here and they put a sheep thing on, we're not going to call them hypocrites. <laughs> but for us, are you a hypocrite? And Jesus, Jesus basically says this. He goes, hey, why do you go and take the speck of dust out of your neighbor's eye when you've got a big old two-by-four in your eye, right? He says that in uh, Matthew chapter 7. But here's the interesting thing. He basically goes like this. Why do you go and take the dust out of your neighbor's eye when you have a two-by-four in your eye? He goes, first, take the two-by-four out of your eye, then go and correct them. So this isn't a loophole. You don't get the opportunity to go, oh, man, my friend's really struggling, but I'm really struggling too. Guess I get a buy this time. No, first, go and take the two-by-four out of your eye. And then... Go to them. Just check yourself. Doesn't, this doesn't absolve you from the responsibility. It just maybe is a check engine light. Like, oh, well, i got to do some business with God because now I'm not even being a good friend and brother or sister because I'm not able to correct them because I'm, I need to be corrected. I need to correct myself. And then go back to level one. What do you do? Go get help. Right? So it's not absor- uh, absolving you from this. And in some, season, some seasons, we lack the patience and grace, we need to do this well. Anybody of you ever, ever gotten burned out? Any of you ever gotten hangry? Right? Any of you ever gotten hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Well, we need to halt. So sometimes, here's the thing. Is this my pet peeve or is this really sin? Right? Because sometimes everything is sin. Like when I'm driving, like everyone's a sinner around me. <laughs> right? And especially if I haven't eaten. Right? The level of your badness goes up when my blood sugar goes down. Right? And so you just need to take some time maybe when you recognize something in your friend, your brother, your sister. You don't, maybe, maybe you don't need to immediately hammer that. Maybe you need to spend some time thinking about it. Maybe you need to ask, is this even sin? Maybe you don't know. Maybe you're a new believer. Or maybe it's something a little bit complicated. Or it's a gray area. You need to seek wise counsel. Get into the word. This should drive you to build your faith. You need to build your faith so that you can be helpful to your friend. You can get counsel. You can say, hey, here's the situation. No names. But what would you do? Like, is this really something that's an issue? And we need to do this from the inside of relationships. A lot of the time, here's the first step. Get to know their story. And let me tie this in with generational discipleship. uh, Wiser ladies. Never say older ladies. I learned that. (laughs) Wiser ladies. Let's say, hypothetically, you're in church and... A younger lady comes, and she's dressed in a way that you feel is inappropriate 
for church. How do you handle that? My hope is that you realize God just invited you to get to know her. That's an invite to coffee. Let's get some coffee. And guess what? The coffee itinerary, the agenda should not be day one. Let's talk about your attire. Why don't you get to know her, love her, spend some time with her, get to, get to build that relationship. And then if it's still an issue, have a sn- some coffee and get some nuts so your blood sugar goes up. If it's still an issue, now you have a relationship, you can figure out kind of the root of what's going on there. And maybe address that. And the guys too. We should be building relationships with people as a step one. Get to know someone's story. Is this the, is this the thing that they need to handle right now? Right? How many of you guys have only one thing that's your issue? <laughs> Just leave the 99 issues and go after the one, right? I got 99 or more issues, right? And I just need to, I, I, I'm not, like sometimes the thing you think they need to work on is not the thing God is calling them to work on. Maybe, but how do you figure that out? Oh, from the inside of a relationship. So building relationships is not an option, I mean, it, it, it is, is not optional when it comes to obeying this scripture that James is talking about. Do you know their story? And here's, here's, a, here's a, a helpful thing. Have you guys ever heard you should think before you speak? And we'll have the worship team come back up. Think before you speak. Here's another dorky acronym. I love dorky acronyms. We had HALT, and now we have THINK. Ask yourself, is it true? It's, it's something I need to adjust. Is it true? Is it truly something that that is, is it sin or is it not? Or is it just something that bugs me? Is it true? Is it helpful? How you do it might, might, like, is this helpful? Is it inspiring? Meaning, is this what God is already doing in their life? And you can see that and God has put you in the, in the path to help them on that journey. Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Can it wait? Is it the biggest issue, right? Is it necessary? And then is it kind? If you, can, if you can go through all of those things kind of as a process, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? And it still feels like, yeah, this is definitely the right thing, then man, that's the next coffee talk. And how you bring it up is huge. We should do it with humility, shouldn't we? With humility. I, we're just fellow strugglers. I mess up too. I had a two. I just had a two by four. See the scar in my eye. I just because I just had a two by four. I spent an hour with God taking it out before I even had this conversation with you. Do it with humility. Do it with discrepancy. When you're at your small group, I just wanted to bring up something real quick. You know, like Kenny, Pastor Kenny does this all the time, and with all of us, as we all love him, right? Right? No, <laughs> do it with some discrepancy. Don't do it in, in front of other people. Do it maybe on a one-on-one, like it says in Matthew 18, and then, and then do it with grace. Do it with grace. You know what grace is? Grace is treating people better than they deserve, better than you think they deserve. Do it with grace. Assume the best about them. And then do it with a willingness to help. You got an issue going on. I'm not going to just point it out. That's what I love about what Jenna's doing with Young Life. You know, all of us are good at, like, abortion's wrong, we shouldn't do that. How many of you guys and me are, are meeting with teen moms who chose not to have an abortion and have their baby and are in that struggle now, right? 
to get it into that. Get into that with Christmas. Because we need to be willing to get into the weeds with people if we're going to point out the weeds. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.